This morning, but guys, could you put up Romans chapter seven, verse number one, please? Now we're having a baptism service after the preaching, and I'm anxious to get there. So I'm motivated to preach hard and fast and quick. We'll see how that goes. Amen. But we're having several being baptized. We're going to walk just straight down there to the baptismal. I've got it running full of water. And we're looking forward to a great baptismal service today. Romans chapter 7, verse number 2. And you also need to go to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I want to preach a message today entitled, and I don't know how this is going to go because i got 42 different messages on my mind. How come I say 42? Anyway, um, I just I want to give you some statistics before I start preaching today, but I, I want to preach a message today on how how to get out of a bad marriage. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll get to that later, and I don't know how much of that I'll preach. But how, how many bad marriages we have in here? Oh, okay, yeah, there and there. Yeah, okay, I want to tell you how to get out of it here pretty soon. All right, all right, just hang on to your hat. I want to give you some statistics though on Father's Day. I'm not preaching on this. There are between 18 million and a half and 24 million and 0.7 fatherless children in America. 18, you you can get all these different statistics from the government. Who knows how accurate they are? But there's between 18 and 24 million fatherless children in the United States. United States leads the world massively in fatherless children. We are the number one nation in the world with the greatest percentage of fatherless children in our population. There are countries out here whom we may not think too much of, or we think they're, you know, they ain't got it, that have like four and five percent, some one percent fatherless children. America doesn't have it all together. The number of children living with only with their mothers has doubled in the last 50 years. Number of children living only with their mother has doubled in the last 50 years. 85% of children and teens who, quote, have what they call behavioral disorders come with homes with no father, 85%. 75% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers come from those homes without a father. It is estimated that 55 50 to, from 31% to 50% of Hispanic-born children in America are born out of wedlock. Somewhere between 55 and 80%, depending on whose statistics you read of, of, of black families, uh, there's no father or raised in single-parent homes. Somewhere around 24% of white children in America live in homes without a father. That comes to one in five children but overall, we have about a 40% overall where they're living with, without a father. In 1960, 8, in 1968% of American children lived in a single parent home. In 2012, and it's worse now, there were 25%, one in four living in a single parent home. Children raised up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and that is carried, and their attitudes are carried into the school, into the churches, and workplace, and finally prison. It's the most serious social problem, as far as the world's perspective, there is in the United States. In 1960s, LBJ presented, and the socialist Democrats in America passed what's called the Great Society. It was called the War on Poverty. 
and it, and it instituted government programs that made it more financially beneficial to be an unwed mother than to be a married one. They rewarded immorality. We're living in a culture where men are glorified who have several children by various women. We feed the self-righteous socialist, and this whole system feeds the self-righteous socialist who use them as a cause to tax people and to control people. The true, the true problem with fatherless children is immorality, abortion, welfare, drugs, liquor, and unbiblical culture, and dead churches and godless schools. The remedy is to return to the Word of God. And I want you to know something. You may be visiting here. You may not know much about this church, but one of this church's main goals and the structure that God's given me as a pastor for 40 years is build strong men. You have strong men, you have strong marriages. You have strong marriages, you have strong families. If we have strong families, we'll have a strong church. If we're a strong church, we'll affect our community and our world for Christ. Amen. Let me just tell you, this Bible, this book, I'm not up here jacking around with you. You listen to me? I'm not playing games with you. We don't play religion here. You're, gonna, you're either going to heaven or going to hell. And the Bible has, gives you a way to live while you're here. The thing that makes me sick is the demeaning and the deterioration of fatherhood and manhood in this country. I'm going to tell you something right now. I want every young boy to listen to me right now. And I love you boys. and You know I do. But I tell you this business of going around. I don't, I'm not, yeah, do girls have responsibility? You bet they do. But I'm going to tell you boys something. You better keep yourself straight up, gun barrel straight. And you save yourself to marriage. And you don't be getting out here and pushing a bunch of girls and twisting a bunch of girls to get in bed with them and to procreate and have a child. And then you run off like a dog somewhere. You're not a dog. You're a human being. You're a man. And if you conceive a child, you ought to take care of it. Amen. We got enough of this nonsense, sick, stupid stuff. And you're not a man. If you think it, you know, this, the, the false concept of manhood that we have in America, that you ought to go around and chase all the women you can chase, you know, and it's no big deal to you that you conceive a child. You can just run off like a hound dog. She's got to be, she got to stay there and, and deal with it. And what's happening is she's going to get an abortion or she's going to have a baby and the state's going to pay for it. And she's going to live in poverty probably the rest of her life. And she's going to miss all kinds of opportunities with much less the fact of just trying to raise a child by herself to learn how to, to, to discipline and raise it and train it. There, let me tell you, you're never, you're never going to improve on And that's why these queers and sodomites and these transgenders and all that kind of garbage out of hell. I'm going to tell you, and the same sex, and I'll tell you right now, God created male and female, put them into a nuclear home, wanted them to stay together to life, for life. When you bust up that and attack that, you're going to have a deteriorating culture and society, and that's what we've got. We've left the Bible. You want to be a man? Number one, get saved. Number two, get committed to Christ. Number three, get your nose and face and mind and heart in this book and say, bless God, if he'll give me grace, I'm going to learn how to live like a man and be a man. Can I say something? You ain't a man if you don't pray with your wife. You're a punk. He said, I'll whoop you after church. Just try it. <laughs> Somebody needs to wake you up a little bit. Yeah. Somebody needs to shake your tree a little bit. Yeah. Somebody needs to make, a, make the monkeys chatter. Yeah. I'm sick of manhood being portrayed in this country as some kind of macho guy who drinks a Bud Light. That's, right. That's not manhood. That's right. Oh, well, I'll get off of that. Haven't made anybody mad yet. In this fatherless culture that we have, fatherless children, listen to this, fatherless children 
have a 63% youth suicide rate. I want to tell you what really ticks me off. You conceive, a, you conceive a child, you drive off in your pickup truck, and you leave that child if she loves it enough to keep it and give birth to it. If you're not careful, some live-in dude will be going in there to your child and be molesting your children. And you're off out there chasing another woman. You make me sick. You are no man. 90% of the homeless and runaway young people come from fatherless homes. 71% of school dropout young people are fatherless homes. 70% of juvenile delinquents come from fatherless homes. 75% of substance abuse among youth is in, comes from fatherless homes. What's this statement here? 70, and I checked this dude out several places. It's consistent. 75% of young people, upper young people that got, that raped some, a man, a boy that raped somebody, that boy came out of a fatherless home. That's not an accident. 75% of the rapes that occur, occur from a boy that was not raised by a father. Are you listening to me? What I'm trying to tell you today, and I love you, and I'm not being, I, I, I got an, I know I got an edge to me, okay? But I love you. And somebody needs to tell you the truth because you ain't hearing it in the news. And you're not, you're not going to hear it at the schoolhouse. They're going to give you, they're going to pass out their, 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 their garbage to you to, so, so you can have safe sex. You ain't going to hear the truth very often in this world. They're twice as likely to go to prison, a, 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 a child without a father. 85% of those who are in prison grew up with no father in the home. Can you imagine 85% of the people in prison today that come out of a fatherless home? 39% of the students in the United States, K through 12, have no father in the homes in America. A single parent average income in America is 35,000. I'm shocked at that. A two parent average income is 85,000. Now, let me tell you something that's going to affect the raising of your children. It's not, it's not the exclusive thing, but listen to this. A fatherless child in America is 279% more likely to deal drugs and use weapons for a crime than a child that has a father in a home. In 1960, America had 393,000 divorces. In 2008, and I couldn't find any other, had 8,444,000. I'm going to say another thing. Before you decide to call that stupid lawyer you're going to call to get you a divorce... Why don't you just stop and sit down on the side of the road somewhere? Before you, before you walk in his door, knock on his door and say, I want to get a divorce. I want you to stop along the road somewhere and just start seeing over the hill a little bit. And once you see that live in jerk that comes to live with your wife. And I want you to see him abusing your daughter. Are you listening to me? I want you to see him burning your little boy, your three-year-old boy with a cigarette butt because he's half drunk and drugged out. I want you to see that guy that, that's now living with your son slapping him upside the head, kicking him across the floor. It's happening all the time, folks. That's 
If you don't believe me, talk to the sheriff's office. I want you to see in your mind before you oh, tell, sit down, tell that lawyer that it's just uh, we, you just can't get along anymore. You better think about what you're doing because there are kids all you know why you know why these kids are so mad is because their daddy left or their mama left their daddy and there's nobody there to protect them. And when they're getting beat into the corner of that bedroom or they're being sexually molested by that guy, they're wondering where was my dad? Where was my mama? You want to know what this church is about? It's just, we're just trying to hold our stinking families together, just to be honest with you. It's tough enough if you know the Lord. But we want to hold our families together and prevent our children from being ripped apart and abused and misused and, and treated like trash in this world. It's not a complicated issue. Child abuse, mental, sexual, and otherwise skyrocketing in fatherless homes where the boyfriend lives in. I, I, that's not my message. I just couldn't help but share them with the church today because the curse on America is fatherhood. And I will tell you the truth. When I grew up, I was born in 1953. Milk cows up to the barn during the 60s. Elvis, rock and roll, the Beatles. All we heard was rock and roll music and it was all all designed, now listen to me carefully, to sexualize young men. To make them think that they weren't young men unless they were chasing the girls and being immoral. It was a whole game. And it, it, it ruined this country. You ever thought about the babies that will be standing at judgment looking at their fathers who weren't even there when they were torn to shreds in the abortion clinic? Have you ever thought that God may drag, God, and he will, I know he will, bring that father up who can see that child, that child was ripped to shreds, and where's my dad? Where was my dad? Where's my dad when they grabbed me with a pair of pliers or poured saline salt on me and tore, me, tore my head off and then my arms off? You say, Reggie, you're being a little bit rough. Well, I'll tell you what, the game time's over in this country. If we don't get serious and honest about what we're doing in this nation, Just yesterday, I, 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 I'll run half of you off. I don't mean to, but if you leave, you leave. I ain't running you off. You just ain't tough enough to take preaching. That's your problem. Amen. I ain't run nobody off. Teacher arrested for molesting 12 first to thir- third grade kids in his gym, cl- in his dance class at school. First of all, hey, are you that stupid to have a dance class for your child? My daddy used to have dances, amen. You know what the problem with this country is? You ain't working. Some of you, some of you need to be bought a chainsaw and a splitting mall and a, and a dull wedge and made to work instead of sitting. Anyway, get off this, Reggie. Let's go do something else. I, I'm just so fed up with this fatherhood thing in this country. It makes me sick. And these poor girls, ain't no men to marry. <laughs> Bunch of wimps. Bunch of wimps. Ain't going to make nobody living, Brett. They ain't going to work. You're about, I bet you're half scared to see your girls marry some little old wimp. He ain't going to work. Yeah. Sorry, girls. <laughs> but you're, you kind of agree with your dad already, don't you? I'm just saying this. Boy, I don't know why. I'm just off on this. Let's go. Let's, let's preach and get out of here. All righty. Oh, we're going to have some fun. Here we go. Romans chapter seven, verse number. Watch this now. How to get out. How to get out of a bad marriage. 
<laughs> We're everywhere this morning. Amen. How do you have a bad marriage? Some of you are going, well, I've been wanting to know this for years. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, Bible tell, I'll tell you how do you have a bad marriage. Here, watch this. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, hath the law, what's this statement, hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. <laughs> for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband liveth, if, so then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now raise verse number four. Go on up. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law, by the body of Christ, that ye should be what? Married to another, even to him, Christ, who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, if you've got your Bibles there, and they'll put it up on the wall, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, there was a woman, I've been preaching on the brides of Christ. Yeah, the brides of the Bible being a picture of the church, the bride of Christ. And I need to get this down here real quick, but we'll do this. I'm, I, I, the older I get, the sorrier I am about preaching. I don't have to preach just jack around all day long, I guess. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to do this. I hope you can see everything up there. Now, we're going to read this. Are you ready? In Psalms, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, the Bible said in verse number 2, There was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. The man was very great. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep at Carmel. Now, you need to understand in the Bible, sheep shearing days was a big deal. Everybody come in. It's kind of like the big roundup and the big rodeo. Verse number three. Now, the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife was Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding, of a beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish and evil in his doings. And he was of the house of Caleb. There's all kinds of stuff I'd like to preach right here, but I've got to go on. Verse number four. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. Now, understand something. David is out and uh, he's been chased by Saul. He's been run, run by Saul and he's, he's armed. He's got 600 men with him and Saul's trying to kill him. And he is living in the wilderness. And while he's out here in the wilderness, he's near this man's ranch uh, of Nabal. And uh, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. Verse number five. And David sent out 10 young men. And David said unto the young men, get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Now this is all uh, history, accurate history. It's a Bible history, but it's got typology in it every, all through it. Verse number six, and thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, peace be both to thee, peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. That's three pieces. That's divine, divine three is number divine. God is wanting to give this man divine peace. Verse number seven, and now I have heard that thou hast shears, now thou shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there all missing unto them all the while we were, they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh of thine hand unto thy servants of thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and ceased. They got done talking. Now, keep in mind again, David has said, you're Philistines, and there was kind of like a, a chaotic world out here. 
Nabal has all these sheep in these stables. They're running all through these hills. David's men were in there and they made sure that the Philistines or nobody else or robbers or nothing like that killed any of Nabal's sheep. And they, while they were there, they took care of him, protected and didn't steal nothing from him. But they watched over them. Nabal answers these messengers that David sent down to him. Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Now watch this verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I've killed from my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all these sayings. And David said unto his men, gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword and David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David's messengers, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good to us, unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. Watch this verse 16. David's men, they said about David's men, they were a wall unto us, both by night and day, all the while uh, we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what thou will do. For evil is determined against our master. Now, this is one of her servants talking to her about what's went on. Evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a man of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. And Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and, 200, and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn, a hundred and cluster raisins, 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her and she met them. Now, folks, what's going on? David's mounted up 400 men. They've all got their swords on. They're coming down and they said, you know what? We're going to wipe this guy out. He didn't appreciate nothing. He's got an attitude. He knew who David was. He knew who his father was. He knew all about David. But he said, who's David? And he, and he just had an attitude and, and he rejected their appeal. And David said, I'll tell you what, if he's going to act that way, we're going to wipe these guys out. They're coming down the hill. And here Abigail comes with all these gifts that she's got, this stuff that she got. To, and they meet one another. And when you get here, uh, there's something going to go on. You get into verse number 18 or verse number uh, 21. And David had said, surely in vain have I kept all this fellow hath in the wilderness so that nothing missed of all that pertaineth to him. And he hath requited me evil for good. And so and more also do God unto the enemies of David. If I leave of all any that pertain to him by the morning light, any that pisseth against the wall. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and let the words of thine hand and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, thy handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord whom thou didst send. The name Nabal means fool. His name meant fool. Verse number 26, now therefore is my Lord, as my Lord, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. Now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. 
And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all the days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, and, but the soul of thy, my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of life of the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies shall he sling out them as the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself but when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And by the way, he did. Verse number 32. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice and blessed be thou, which have kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from venging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed is the Lord of God Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hadst hasted and come to meet me. Surely there had not been left unto Nabal any by the morning light that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. And Abigail said to Nabal, and Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house. She gets back down at the ranch now, and her husband's holding the feast like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. But when it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about 10 days after that the Lord smote Nabal and he died. Now watch verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord, which had pleaded the cause of my reproach from this hand of Nabal and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed her head, bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and rose and rode upon the ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. Lord, help me to preach what you'd have me to preach, to be quick and clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to give you the typology here today to get, this, to get this out of that. Hopefully I can find this right here. But without this, you'll never get what you get. There's a man named Nabal in this story. Nabal is a picture of Satan, the devil. But he's also a picture of how Satan uses the law to keep you in bondage. All right. Then there's a man, there's a woman named Abigail. And Abigail is a picture of the church. But she is also a picture of the individual believer. She's a picture of you. And in the first part of that chapter, she's a picture of, of you and I when we were lost. Then she becomes a picture of you and I after we're saved. All right. You also have in this story a man named David. And David, as many of you know, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the messengers. And the messengers are a picture of those in your life who try to tell you 
the gospel of Jesus Christ and who warn you of the wrath to come. And in this story is embedded the great principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he saves a person and what's really going on behind the scenes in the spiritual world. Now, I, I'm honest with you. I could, I, in fact, tonight I'm going to preach on the same text. But here's what I want you to get into. Abigail is in a bad marriage. Now, I don't want you to take this to seed a whole lot. But in all truth and reality, in a certain sense, biblically speaking, a lost person is married to the devil. Under the devil's authority, under the devil's influence, under the devil's power. All right. Back in Romans chapter seven, it says that if that husband be dead, she's freed from the law. Now, Abigail is in a terrible marriage, a bound, bad marriage, and she's bound to that marriage by the law. God is the one who set the law. That she, as long as that man's living, she can't be married to anybody else. Now, I'm going to give you a little something. I've got a whole bunch of stuff I'm going to preach tonight, but I'm just going to skip it and get into what I want about the, the bad marriage. She pictures, as I said, a lost sinner and in a sense married to the devil under his authority and bound by the law to him and she can't do anything about it. You say, Reggie, how'd she get into it? Whether you like this or not, in those days in the Bible, marriages were, were normally uh, put together by their parents. Many times the daughter had m- not much to say about it. The truth about it is with your sin and my sin, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin so that death passed with all men for all sin. You see, I inherited my sin nature from Adam. And I'm in it, whether I, I'm, I'm in this condition, whether I want to admit it or not, I, I, and I've got to deal with it, I've got to do something with it. And I'm bound, you see, by the law of sin and death, what the Bible calls the law of sin and death, I am bound to that. And for me to ever get out of it, you know what's got to happen? Somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to die. And so what happens is she pitches off sinner. So now, Here's the first thing. Those messengers came down. What did they bring? They brought a message of judgment. Now you listen to me good today. If I did not believe the Bible and I just wanted to be a preacher in the modern day era, I would do what most of them are doing at churches. Most churches never preach judgment and the wrath of God against sin. In fact, they've devised ways. If I wanted to be a slick willy, I would just talk to you about, oh, getting saved, just come up here and repeat a prayer and, 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 you're, and we'll baptize you and you're on your way to heaven. They're not preaching judgment. They're not preaching hell. You know what those messengers did? Those messengers came down and they gave the message of the gospel. But when it was rejected, the judgment was coming. Let me say something to you. The moment you reject the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, I don't need him. Just like Nabal, I don't want him. Who's he? I don't recognize him. You rail on Jesus Christ. You're in for judgment. I want to tell you, the, the Bible said, he that believeth on the son hath life. But he that believeth not the son hath not life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Nabal was down there drinking and partying and feasting and did not know that over the mountain was coming the wrath of God on him and his days were numbered. 
And most people don't even have any comprehension that, that don't, they, I mean, they're just having a good time. They're going boating. They're going this one. They're doing that. And they're doing this and don't realize. I'm telling you right now, I want to warn you today that if you've rejected Jesus Christ, you have not received him as your savior. The wrath of God is abiding on you right now. And I'm going to tell you, so you say, what's that mean? The wrath of God. That means the bust hell wide open. That's what it means. That means that you'll be eternally tormented in the lake of fire. When you reject Jesus Christ, there's no other remedy. God offered you salvation. God offered you freely to be saved but you reject it. There's nothing left for you but the wrath of Almighty God. All right? So he rejected the, the message of judgment. So now comes this. So, so, here's what happens. Watch this. Abigail has a different heart. Added, Abigail cares about judgment. Nabal doesn't, but she does. Tonight I'm going to preach how Nabal is a picture of American husbands. Okay, and I'm not going to go there this morning, but if you want a picture of American husbands and fatherhood and manhood, study Nabal. But Abigail does something different. She hears about that, the wrath of God. It motivates her to move. And she says, I don't want this to fall upon our family, upon our lives. She loads up these things. and take, Now, she's not buying her salvation. She is fulfilling the request of, of David to bring this stuff. Now, if you study her, when she comes to David... She lights off of that ass and she falls upon her face. It's a picture of humility. Let me just tell you something. Nobody, but nobody comes to God cocky. David is a picture of Jesus Christ. And when she sees him, she falls immediately upon her face. She's humble before God. And did you know what? She didn't even, she said, forgive thine handmaid. She confesses her sin. She could realize she has sinned. She realizes she needs the mercy of David. It's a whole picture of how you come to Christ. Can I just tell you something? You'll never get saved till you look up to God and say, God, I'm a wicked, hell-deserving sinner. And Lord, I, don't, I know you're holy and I know you're righteous and I don't want that wrath of God upon me. And God, you've offered me peace and you've offered me forgiveness and you've offered me eternal life through Jesus Christ. And God, I'm going to receive that through Jesus Christ. I'm not going to spurn you and turn you away like Nabal did. Anyway, she comes to him. What's he doing? Now watch this. Did you know that David never said a word to her about being his wife while she made that whole speech? Do you know why? Because it is unlawful. I want, boy, I'm telling you, talking about something sweet and good. And I, I, I'm on two, I, I'm going two ways today because one side of me is going to preach judgment, the other side is just the sweetness of God Almighty. But she, but she comes and he, and you know what he tells her? She's actually saved at that moment. He tells her, get, rise up and go back in peace. Tells you, I've accepted it. I've accepted you. Go up back in peace. Now, Brother Lou, she goes back. And what's the story? Tell me, tell me what happens. He's partying, he's drunk. She didn't say a word to him that night. Next morning, the Bible says when the wine goes out, boy, what a message that'd be. When the wine of this world runs out on you, you might get ready for Jesus. And she tells him what happened. Now, I'm just going to tease you a little bit about tonight's message. When your wife has gotten to a place where she's talking to somebody else, another man, about your marital problems, you are in a gigantic mess. That's right. I have a written, I have not written, but a verbal agreement in this church. Do not, you, none of you women, you, you don't call me unless it's in a super emergency. My husband had a heart attack. <laughs> you, know. you have your wife, call my wife. And then my wife will talk to me. Right? I don't need to be talking to your wife. But you know what would really irk me? You know what would really get me, Brother Lonnie? If Karen 
went over to your house and started telling you what a dog I am. <laughs> Husband, when you get the point of your wife, things are so rotten that she's looking for somebody to talk to that will listen and make some sense. You're in bad shape spiritually already. But let me get past that. He, we'll, do, we'll deal with that tonight. The Bible says that the Lord, first of all, his heart died in him. <laughs> he knew he was had. His heart died in him. And he lay, and, and, and he lay there 10 days. And then the Bible says the Lord smote him and he died. Hmm. Did you know that's how you and I get saved? That's how we are saved. The story then goes what? David hears that Nabal died. So he sends a messenger. Jim, it's good to see you home. Glad to see you. Sends a messenger down there to, to, to Abigail and says, Abigail, how'd you like to get married to me? <laughs> and Abigail says, that sounds like a good idea to me. I want to ask you, how many thinks that Abigail really would rather have been married to David than Nabal to start with? You know what she does? She starts packing her up, amen? Loading everything up. And by the way, all the numbers in the whole chapter, watch, this is cool. All the numbers in the chapter are either five or divisibles of five. It's all about the grace of God, how you come to God through grace. Not only that, but get this one. She addresses him as Lord, little L, exactly 14 times in that chapter, which is the number of deliverance. And what's happening is the Holy Ghost is telling you that David, our Christ, is going to deliver her from Nabal, the devil and the law. Oh, happy day. Now you say, but Reggie, now I'm going to tell you the truth. I I have thought on this and thought on this and thought on this because... And I thought, Lord, I don't really understand this. Because you said, put up Romans chapter 7, verse number 2 again, would you please? Now watch this very carefully. How do you get out of a bad marriage? First of all, if you're lost, you're in a bad marriage. (laughs) You're in a bad marriage if you're lost. There is a sense in Scripture where you're married to the devil. And you're bound in that marriage to the law of God. And the law can't save you. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. The Bible said she was a woman of good understanding, of a beautiful countenance, but that didn't save her. She had to be remarried. She had to be married to another man. And watch this. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But the husband be dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. So that if her husband liveth, she'd be married to another man, she'd be called an adulteress. If her husband be dead, she is free from that law. She is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Then it goes down and tells you in verse number four how this applies to you getting saved to Christ. So now we're going to have Bible class. What had happened with David before this time occurred in his life? Big event. Probably the biggest thing you ever hear about David. What had David done? He had killed Goliath. Who is Goliath a picture of in the Bible? The devil. Now, I want to show you something. I'm going to show how this works. This was precious to me as a preacher, as a Christian. This is precious. I hope you'll get this. You say, well, the devil's loose and running to and fro throughout the whole earth, Reggie. He ain't dead. I'm sorry, but he is dead. Hold on to your hat. This Bible is a book of prophecy as well as a book of life. 
there is estimated that there's 1,870 some prophecies that's already been fulfilled in this book to this point in history. Okay? God dwells in eternity. He does not dwell in time. When God said this, that before the foundation of the world, he foreordained his son to be offered a sacrifice for our sins. Did you know that in God's eyes, it was done? God doesn't say something without doing it. God doesn't monkey around with half promises. Now watch this. And everything God said that he would do, he does. And from the, watch this. God is not down here in time. God is in eternity. And so God sees creation and God sees the culmination. Somebody tell me what the culmination of the devil is. The lake of fire. Eternal death. Watch this. Put up Hebrews 2 verses 14 through 15. Now I'm going to be done a little bit. We're going to go down to baptism. But I just want you to get this. Because there's a way to get out of a bad marriage. <laughs> now, physically in your marriage, I hate to tell you this, the only way to get out your husband or spouse die. Sorry. That's it. Don't go shoot him like Don said. <laughs> All right. Watch this. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, Jesus Christ, himself likewise took part of the same and through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them, remember 14 times the word Lord, who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Bondage. Now God Almighty is the one that said had to happen was that the former spouse has to die before we be remarried. Here's how it happens, brother, Brie Love. In God's eyes, Satan, watch this, go to Colossians 2, 14 and 15. In God's economy, in God's realm of work, Satan is already destroyed because he's decreed it. That's why he said in Romans chapter 4 that he could call things which be not as though they were. Now, what I'm preaching today may stretch your faith a little bit, but God does not operate in the finite. He operates in the infinite. God does not operate in time alone. He operates in eternity. How many thinks that God knows everything? Raise your hand. How many thinks that God knew before the world was ever founded exactly what was going to be happening the whole time? If he doesn't, he's not God. Now, you know what this will do for you in the end? It'll make you smile a little bit. Because our God is so big and so powerful and so knowing and so active that he has already, Brother Lutz, destroyed our enemy ahead of time and loosed us from the bondage of that marriage. And we can now come as Abigail did. What Didn't she do it? Abigail come to Christ. What did he say? Peace, 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 divine peace to you. I've accepted you. But she went back and went 10 days. He was still alive. But then God smote him. God, Jesus Christ, destroyed Satan at the cross. Get this. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, that's the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having done what? Spoiled principalities and powers. Who's that? Satan. 
and making, uh, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You know what I'm here to tell you this morning? Some really, really good news. That Jesus Christ, when he died for you on the cross, he destroyed the power of Satan and put the execution in, in, in effect, even though it's not already occurred. And by that, he, has, he is dead. And that's why the Bible says you were dead in trespassing. That's why we're talking about eternal life. It's all different now. And she's married to one who gives her life. I don't know. Is this making sense or not? I don't know whether I'm conveyed or not. It's just the flat truth. You see, according to your faith, so be it. Now you can watch this. You can sit around all your life talking, oh, the devil's running about to and fro. He's going, devil, 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 devil. Why don't you talk about the devil? Revelation 2010, put it up on the wall. And the devil that deceived him was cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. That's where he is headed. It's already decreed. There's not going to be stopping it. There's not going to be, oh, God messed up and it didn't happen. It's done. It's over. He's had it. He's, He's destroyed. Death has come to Satan. And because death has come to Satan, we are broken from the bondage of that law. And we are, watch this, Jesus said, whom the Son shall make free is free indeed. You really are free. And Satan has no more claim on you. You're a child of God. And the law of marriage has been broken in the death of Satan. And I'm free to Christ now. And I'm in a happy marriage and out of a bad one. Oh, happy day. January 24th, 1982. Standing in church. Under the rulership and the bondage of the devil. Couldn't, get, couldn't lose myself. You can't either. But I tell you what I did that night. I did what Abigail did. I said, I don't like that guy anyway. <laughs> I don't like that guy who's run my life to this point anyway. I ain't telling, I ain't asking him if I can go get saved. Amen. And I went to David that night and I fell on my face before my David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord, I've sinned against you. And I tell you what, I shelled out the corn, amen. And I said, God, I know I deserve justice, but I'm asking for your mercy. You know what God did? He not only saved me, but he made me part of the bride of Christ. And how many thinks the church is going to make it through? Now, I mean, do you think for a minute that Jesus Christ died for the church, saved the church, and he's going to get us 95% home and then drop us into the devil's arms again? (laughs) No. He's taking us all the way home. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. He's married to me. Read your book, A Song of Solomon. Amen. That's how you get out of bad marriage. You get saved. I want to ask you a question today. Ask yourself, who really runs my life secretly and honestly? Who is it running my life, Christ or the devil? You see, we think in terms of physical marriage, but we need to think higher in terms of spiritual marriage. Who really is telling you how to live? And it'll tell you who you're married to. Are you married to Christ or are you married to the devil? And I want to tell you something. You can't get out of that marriage except through Jesus Christ. God smote Naboth. Nabal, Nabal, you can't. All she could do is wait on the Lord, trust him to do what he said he would do, and he will. This do anybody any good? I hope it did you as much good as it does me. It's nice to know that my husband can whoop everybody. 
<laughs> it's nice to know that he would he ain't gonna lie to me. He's not gonna make me promises he can't keep. Now you girls be careful, them boys will make you promises that they can't keep. I did care and I made her all kinds of, whatever she I thought she wanted to hear, that's what I told her. Amen. Did you do that with her? So A little bit, okay, all right. <laughs> but I'll tell you, our Lord Jesus Christ, our heavenly bridegroom, has never made us a promise he's not going to keep. Amen. And I want to tell you this, watch this, that'll blow your socks off. Danny, I tell you, I'm so excited about you and Ramona's married. I'll tell you what I'm excited about that. But you know, Karen and I, I, I uh, 45 years ago, this Saturday, I remember standing there, kind of like this, and they opened that door and started playing that music, and Karen started up the aisle. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you, 45 years since I was just yesterday, you know, and, and she looked up at me, and I remember seeing that little sweet smile looking at me, and boy, I thought, bless God Almighty, there comes my wife, boy, and she's going to belong to me. And that preacher, he got up there and said something like this. He said, watch this, till death do you part. Hmm. We don't think much about that anymore, but did you know that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and He saves you, He gives you eternal life, and you shall never perish. And He's eternal, and He ain't perishing. So you're yoked till death do you part, and ain't neither one of you going to die. <laughs> right? That's the truth! Let's stand together. I think enough of this. You can be back.